Overdrive. Hello and welcome to Overdrive, a program that looks at a range of different ways to get around from cars, buses, trains and planes. I'm David Brown and in this week's program we have new stories with David Campbell, including Ford and Uber dial back expectations for self-driving cars. We talk to Alan Zervis about the new Mazda 3, which bucks the latest styling trends. Rob Fraser talks about the new Citroen Air crossover. And Brian Smith and I talk about whether autonomous vehicles will really reduce crashes. You can find more information at drivenmedia.com.au or previous programs are available as podcasts on iTunes or Spotify or our Facebook site, Overdrive City. So let's get the program going. Let's start with the news. There has been much hullabaloo in Australia recently when Labor said that they would set a target that 50% of car sales would be electric. In reality, this is hardly a huge step, and Toyota has already come out and said they intend to achieve that goal of 50% of its range being electric, irrespective of the political processes. While many see global warming as a major issue, the real changes are likely to be pushed by local actions. For example... London implemented a congestion charge for entering its city centre back in 2003. But now the conditions have become more stringent. They have just implemented the ultra-low emission zone. Motorists who drive into the zone in a vehicle that does not meet the new emission standards, petrol vehicles that do not meet Euro 4 standards and diesel vehicles that do not meet Euro 6 standards, will have to pay a daily charge on top of the current congestion charge. As Uber prepares for its initial public offering, it made a sobering comment. Its growth is slowing and it may never make a profit. Uber launched in March 2009 but did not get its first driver till July 2010. There have been suggestions that it could be worth 120 billion US dollars, although Uber's own estimates are nearer 90 to 100 billion. At the end of 2018, Uber has 91 million average monthly active users on its platforms, including ride-hailing and Uber Eats. This is up 33% from 2017, but growth has slowed from 51% a year earlier. While this appears to be still extremely good growth, Uber lost $3 billion in 2018 from operations. Uber has tried to mellow its previous over-aggressive style, but it is still having a dispute with Google's Waymo autonomous vehicle project over whether an executive stole secrets when they were poached by Uber. Uber is reserving some shares in the IPO for drivers who have completed 2,500 trips, among other criteria. Two major players vowing to transform the automotive industry with self-driving cars backpedalled on expectations recently. Both Ford and the ride-sharing company Uber tempered expectations for when autonomous cars will arrive and what they'll be capable of doing when they actually do arrive. Ford CEO Jim Hackett said the company overestimated the time frame for when self-driving cars would be ready to tackle public roads and said that its efforts will likely to be geofenced areas for the near future. 
Hackett called autonomous cars a complex problem but reaffirmed Ford will have its first self-driving car ready in 2021. Uber's chief scientist said self-driving cars are going to be in our lives. The question of when is not yet clear. Autonomous vehicles are not likely to be just the gold-plated solution for private cars. Autonomy will be a part of a solution that will encompass cars, trucks, buses and bikes. Use of a key fob to indicate your presence, and thus removing the need to use a key to unlock your car door or even start the engine, has been a benefit to car owners, especially if you're carrying the shopping or some goods. But this does create an opportunity for hackers. Because your fob is constantly awake for messages from the car, a hacker can tap into its signals. Now Ford has created a fob that goes to sleep mode to prevent it from being hacked. Ford said the fobs are programmed to only work within six feet of the car and they are programmed to unlock and operate. Ford said the key fobs are programmed to only operate within six and a half feet of the car they are programmed to unlock and operate. Ford is launching this new technology in the United Kingdom on its Fiesta and Focus small cars. Owners of the most recent Fiesta and latest generation Focus can have their key fobs upgraded for a price from their dealership. A Boston suburb now mandates the addition of protected bike lanes on all streets due for planned upgrades. The ordinance appears to be the first of its kind in the US and allows Cambridge, a dense university town that already has an unusually high share of bike commuters, to ascend into the ranks of the most progressive bicycling cities in the country. Local law now requires the city to erect vertical barriers between cyclists and cars on any roadway that's rebuilt, expanded or reconfigured. Only in rare circumstances where the city manager must cite physical or financial restraints will there be exceptions. And finally, Hyundai's luxury car brand Genesis has unwrapped the Genesis Mint. It's a concept car and was unwrapped at the 2019 New York Motor Show. Created for the city, the Korean car maker says its pure electric mint is a lightweight city car that's been tailored for the needs of a modern lifestyle. Looking more like a scaled-down take on a classic coupe rather than the traditional hatch, the Genesis Mint's design is dominated by its squat proportions and floating glass roof. However, at this stage it is just a concept car with no indication as to when it might go into production. And that has been the news. We all know the Toyota Corolla is popular, but the Mazda 3 has done well to challenge its status over the years. It was neat, or is neat, clean and reliable. In fact, my mother owned one when they were called a 323. Of course, Corollas and Mazda 3s are surpassed now in sales in Australia by some utes, but that's another story. Mazda has just launched a new Mazda 3 and our colleague Alan Zervis was there to see the event. And Alan joins us on the line now. G'day Alan. David, how are you? Well, mate, I'm wonderful. I'm wonderful now. The new Mazda, the look on the outside, they say it evokes the principles of classic Japanese aesthetics where beauty is achieved by subtraction. Can you tell me what that means? Yes, it was. I think it was Coco Chanel that said less is more. Ah. And that's what they've adopted. They've taken away the creases and the crevices from outside and they've uh, made them smooth instead. It does look smooth, doesn't it? 
very smooth. I, I particularly like the way the uh, back swoops down in sort of a almost a fastback look, a bit like a Jaguar uh, I-Pace. Now, in fact, in the front too, it is not complicated by squillions of lights and Nike swooshes that you see on Lexuses. In fact, around just underneath the headlights there, it's quite relatively smooth panels. Yes, and uh, even the grille is relatively simple. The, the headlights are really not much more than slits. And then there's just sort of a sea of whatever the body colour is. I think it looks quite smart. Overall, you're impressed as the overall look? I think it looks stunning. Do you think that it's making a different statement in the world now? We've been through this, and perhaps the Toyota CHR is a classic example where one crease or one line is good, but 20 isn't 20 times better. Exactly. And look, not only that, I think this harkens back to top bar cars called an Astina, and you might remember that Astina from, gosh, must it be 30 years ago? Yeah. That was also similarly simple, and it flowed and was sort of a a bit of a teardrop shape as well, which uh, this sort of is. The thing about this was that I noticed at the launch that as the sun changed, uh, they they were doing announcements and we were waiting around and what have you, as the sun moved over the car, it actually forms shadows in places you didn't know there were uh, sort of indentations. It really is quite beautiful. I really think that's the case of some of the modern Mazdas where when you see the reflection of the world around you, be it trees or be it even an urban environment, then you begin to understand that it's not just a flat mirror. Almost like a, uh, a near still pool of water and you can just see like little ripples echoing out it just really is just stunning they've done a beautiful job inside they do talk about mazda's human machine interface that might sound like a bit of marketing buzzwords i think it's a very critical issue where we are communicating information to drivers and good information is not helpful if it's confusing how's the interior do you get a sense of working with the car rather than being manipulated by the vehicle Again, it's coherent, so everything works together. They've uh, kind of made a few strange choices. The, the screen's not a touch screen, for example, but it does have CarPlay. And as you know, I, I've sort of put a great deal of importance on that, but all of the switches are in the right place. And the most important thing is that everything that's in the car is either useful or dead in sound or is comfortable. The seats, for example, are made on the S curve of the human body and they say that you could drive that all day and get out fresh we did drive it all day and we did get out fresh i think my body might be more like a g (laughs) that's another another point oh dear mazda has worked very hard at making the internal combustion engine better and therefore viable in a longer term than some people may give it credit for no turbos i don't think but did it perform well it did. Well, in fact, further to your point, they uh, made a point of saying that they'd made their petrol engines efficient, so didn't need part electric hybrid drivetrains. So, yes, it, it is well. It does. It could do with a turbo, in my opinion. The 2.5 is similar to the one in the Mazda 6, uh, which, of course, has a turbo. I think the 2.0-litre could definitely have done with some more poke. Yeah. What's it priced at? And they've dropped the very base model. Oh. You know, they said they didn't want that to be where they, uh, you know, where their car was. 
So it starts at 24,990 and travels through the range to 37,990, plus on roads, of course. But I felt that that was probably fair given the amount of technology, especially that's in the Astina. I think they made a point of inferring that they'd been premiumized. <laughs> yeah, premiumization. Hmm. Premiumization. I don't know that my spell checker gets it just at the moment. Alan, how lovely it is to talk to you. I thank you greatly for your time. Thank you, David. And that was Alan Zervis, and we were talking about the Mazda 3, the new model on the market, where it's no longer the best-selling car in Australia. It was for a short periods, but then again, it is carving its niche, and it is striving to move away from the lines and angles of recent car design. You're listening to Overdrive. This week on our Overdrive City Facebook page, we have a picture of a very stylish bicycle. It might not be as functional as the traditional shape, but with modern materials, could we get more elegance into the cycling style? We see a two-year-old who is practising to be a Formula One driver with a washing basket. There's also the full-size fridge designed with a reference to the VW Combi and the beautiful and the ugly of Formula One racing. That's, face, that's our Facebook page, Overdrive City, one word. You're listening to Overdrive. Citroen has been struggling, to say the least, in the Australian car market. They've had a number of what I think is good-looking character cars without going over the top, yet they failed to impress the scorer in terms of sales. Well, they've just launched another model, and there's talk of them trying to get back into the psyche of the Australian market. And who better to talk about that than our good friend Rob Fraser, who's been to the launch of this new vehicle. Rob, thanks very much for your time. David, thanks for having me. What is it? They call it the C3 Aircross, which is basically an SUV, but only in two-wheel drive format. But it's got that higher body style and bigger, sort of bulkier look that seems to be a favourite amongst buyers at the moment. Tell me about the car. So it's about the size of a Corolla, but a bit more SUV-ish? Yeah, look, think in terms of a Mazda CX-3 or a Toyota uh, CHR, Hyundai Kona, that size of vehicle. Right. And it's, it sits very much in that same category, you know, with that higher stance. And all of those really are you know, larger, more not even wagon variants, but larger versions of their sedan or hatchback-type cars. Does this one have a little bit of Citroen character to its looks? Oh, absolutely. It really looks cool, to be honest. Right from the front, it's got a very sleek sort of line across the front that runs through the double chevron of the Citroen and into the headlights, and then it runs all the way through the side. And the very good thing about the Aircross is that there's only a five pallet, if you like, and... When you choose the colours, the highlights around the uh, rear view mirrors, the, the, around the headlights and around the, uh, the fog lights, they call them squircles, which is another marketing term someone's come up with, square circles. <laughs> and they're all highlighted in the different colours, and it looks really cool. I tell you who did that. Was it uh, the Renault Clio that they tried to allow highlights? And even you see it a little bit in the Kia 
Picanto GT that's come out, putting little highlights rather than just creases and that can bring out the character of the car. What sort of engine does it have? Uh, well, it has a tiny little three-cylinder engine. Okay, turboed. Yeah, turboed. Produces about 80-odd kilowatts. Importantly, it's got about 200 newton metres of torque that comes in fairly low at around 1,500 revs. And, and you would sit there and go, that's, that's not going to work well. But they match it to a six-speed automatic transmission. Thank goodness they, don't, they haven't brought in that Robotronic transmission that Citroen has, which is terrible. Thank heavens for that. Absolutely. So they, they, there's only one variant, one engine, one transmission, a six-speed Asian box, which is really good. And I have to say, we were two up with luggage in the car on the test drive, and both of us were north of 100 kilos, unfortunately. Hmm. And it zipped around without a fuss. It was it was quite a nippy little vehicle. Didn't struggle at all, and it was very, very quiet. It was actually a really good engine. What did they rate the petrol consumption at? The ADR rating is about 6.6 or something litres per 100 k's. Okay. Uh, and, and around town, if you put your foot down, you might use a little bit more fuel. But if you just let the vehicle cruise along, and you'll find that it's actually quite good. Actually, that's probably a more realistic number. When you said it, I thought, oh, I thought it should be a bit better. But it's a rated number, but probably more realistic. A, a lot of these in the early days of the three-cylinder, one-litre or so turbocharged engine, you ended up using a lot more than the laboratory test told you because you were trying to wring its neck a bit more i think so well, that's encouraging inside comfortable comfortable roomy plenty of headspace we had uh four people for about a 20 minute city drive and the two in the back although they probably wouldn't want to drive to brisbane there but they were quite comfortable for that short trip two on board very comfortable plenty of room uh, we did a fair bit of city driving freeway driving a number of back sort of country roads and it was it was exceptionally comfortable the ride was very compliant beautiful what's it worth about thirty two and a half thousand plus all the on-road type costs okay that's not bad for a citroen really and for something that aspires to being an suv citroen has stumbled in our market no it's it's absolutely fallen over was citroen trying to be more positive in their marketing are they going to be more outward than they have been in the past we had a bit of a presentation on the evening from the new CEO of Citroen in Australia, and certainly he was absolutely positive about the prospects and absolutely positive about the way in which they're going to approach the market. And, look, I mean, the cars have always been good. Lovely stuff, Rob. Good to talk to you. Thanks for your time. Thanks, David. And that was Rob Fraser talking about the new Citroen, and it's an Air Cross which is basically a two-wheel drive SUV, which is the way quite a lot of SUVs are anyway. This is Overdrive across Australia. And we come to the end of the program, but I want to talk a little bit about a couple of serious issues that are going around at the moment with our colleague and transport expert, Brian Smith, who joins me on the line now. Brian, good day. Hey, David. About a year ago, I think you and I talked about this and we put out a little video news story on it that there's this great idea that autonomous cars are going to stop 94% of accidents because 94% of accidents are caused by driver error. It's not quite that simple, is it? 
I know, David, this is something that is throughout the industry, this 94% driver error name. And uh, interestingly, the um, US uh, Highway Traffic Safety Administration in the, in the um, US has been using this 94% claim. But, but actually, when you dig into it, um, the reports that, that talk about it actually say it represents the last critical reason in a crash. So, so it recognises that a, a crash usually involves a whole lot of complexity, but the, the final decision is made by a human and the, the 94% figure, therefore, isn't intended to be interpreted as the cause of the crash. Now, that's quoting NT, NHTSA themselves, who then go on to use that quite simplistically 94% claim. So, so while certainly human error is a massive factor in crashes and and the, the hope of autonomous vehicles is that by removing that, we can really reduce the cost of crashes and the human cost of crashes. But it's, uh, I think it's, it's as the, the article says, it's uh, bunk to use the statistic in this way. It worries me because this whole autonomous vehicle is being sold on a couple of statements of faith that we will pretty well eliminate crashes and we can pack far more cars down a motorway. I've said in the short term I do not want autonomous vehicles travelling inches from my rear bumper bar because mm. I'll never know whether it's actually clever technology or the driver thinks much more of his skills than is warranted. So you don't know if it's an autonomous vehicle and, and anyone that is tailgating you is, I find, very annoying. Now, this one about cars, if, for example, there's black ice on the road and the car skids, my last error might be not correcting it properly, but it isn't just driver error that caused the problem. That's true, and it's not absolutely certain that autonomous vehicles will be actually prepared for any eventuality. It's likely there will still be crashes that could be caused by environmental factors or, you know, the collapse of a bridge or the, you know, a, a sign being blown down. The idea is that the autonomous vehicle is going to be more consistent in the way that it responds to things. And potentially you can, you can program the vehicle to respond to situations in a predictable way that other vehicles on the road are conscious of. So, one of the, the elements of autonomy is this idea of connected autonomous vehicles and the idea that the vehicles are communicating with each other to sort out some of these risks before they become serious. But I think it's still fair to say that human error is a massive factor in road crashes and that if, if we can even remove a proportion of that, then it's it's a good thing. I'm not, I'm not a, an optimist about AVs. I don't think the technology in my lifetime is actually going to get to this to the level that it needs to be but i think the approach is right the approach is is saying let's reduce risk and let's save lives i totally agree my trouble is i think you should under promise and over deliver and as we get up into the development of it it's never going to be perfect but we're going to have to cope with the fact that it's imperfect, but that shouldn't stop us from progressing in what you quite rightly says is a way that could reduce crashes. I saw a little video the other day on how autonomous vehicles make their decisions. The problem is you can't tell why the car made that decision. And they were talking about the Uber problem, and they don't really know why it is, and different autonomous cars may make different decisions. Yes. So it's by no means 
A plus B equals C every time and so simplistically. Well, think how humans navigate and negotiate their space on the road. So you take feedback from the actions of other drivers on the road. So, so you might be thinking, is this person going to stop? Are they braking now or are they going to brake very late? And so that, all those cues of what is that other driver doing and what, is, what are they likely to do? Which, which way are they looking? What are they doing with their hands? All of these things provide a continual feedback loop where you're evaluating what you will do based on everything that goes on around you. And so the ability to be able to understand what a driver might do or what a computer-controlled car might do is very important in terms of how, you, how vehicles respond. And so you're right, it's, it's so much more than A plus B equals C. It's potentially the entire alphabet uh, <laughs> being, being sort of navigated and negotiated every split second. It's an alphabet soup. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, uh, again, it just needs to be considered because what's happening now is a couple of political parties, I've mentioned throughout the program last week, a couple of political parties have said we must have every car, new car, is going to have to be electric by 2030. While I understand the concept of that, I worry that it becomes such a fundamentalist statement that it'll provoke the exact opposite reaction in some people. I think we need targets, David. I, I, I think we do need to, to be bold about our intentions. And, and hmm. I mean, really, the, the industry is looking for signals from government, right? And they're not getting any at the moment in Australia. Hmm. It's, it's, they're, they're really not. So I think the ability to say, we're going to try and do this by 2030 and it will be flat and I mean, there's a whole lot of stuff that needs to be done, and, and one of the biggest ones is ensuring that you have enough power to charge all these electric vehicles. Yeah. Um, if you get yeah, the infrastructure and the, and the power is, who pays for that? The private sector may be out there making electric cars, but the government's going to have to invest in the generation part of it and the, the distribution of it. Hmm. So I like the that sort of challenge where we, we say, it's, the, I guess, the vision zero kind of philosophy. You may not get there, but you should be trying to get there. Hmm. I think we've got to specifically address issues. I mean, the classic that motoring journalists are now coming out with is saying you can't tow with an electric vehicle. My point is, look, things will change. You know, we will be able to a whole range of things, but I just don't want to get into a fundamentalist debate. All right, Brian. Thank you, David. Lovely to talk to you. Thanks very much for your time. Bye. And that was Brian Smith, and we were talking some unusual stories and a bit of a serious issues to do with motoring and transport. And this has been Overdrive. My thanks to Brian Smith, David Campbell, Alan Zervis, Rob Fraser and Paul Just for their wit and wisdom. Overdrive can be heard across Australia on the Community Radio Network. You can find more information at drivenmedia.com.au and previous programs are available as podcasts on iTunes or Spotify. And our Facebook page is Overdrive City. Next week we will talk about the things cars do to be helpful but actually drive you mad. I'm David Brown. Thanks for listening.